Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast. Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Chris Lindstrom was a hoot. He was just so much fun. He never stopped talking. I mean, it was great. Party down? Yes! Take it from me, an inveterate snob. (laughs) That's it! Stinks! It stinks! It stinks! And we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere, is that clear? Because I'm a pro. That's what pros do. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book. What do you say? Enough. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we are back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. It's a steamy day here in Rochester, and I've got a guest across from me with one of the most interesting and hottest new places here in here in town. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm Taylor Wildy, the chef at Wildflower in the North Winton Village. Wow. So can you tell people, uh, before we dive into everything else about what's going on there, what is the concept at Wildflower and how can people go visit it in person? So Wildflower is all about uh, whole grain sourdough bread and pasta. So we're a casual pizza joint, pizza by the slice, uh, some pasta dishes and sandwiches, uh, all made in-house with a small retail store. Nice. And uh, so for everybody, if you're trying to go there in person, uh, as Taylor mentioned, it's in the uh, North Winton Village. But for location purposes, it's basically at the corner of Atlantic and Winton. And uh, basically, this is now a the sister restaurant to Lucky's, and you can park in either the parking lot from the old Bay Goodman Pizzeria at the corner there, which is that space. Uh, signage still on the way, I yeah. assume. <laughs> yeah, underway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for it, it's where Bay Goodman Pizza was, and directly next to Lucky's, you can park in the Lucky's lot or this lot at the corner now for either establishment. Yeah, yep, that's right. And we're open uh, Thursday through Monday right now, 11 to 3. Hoping to expand on that very soon. Nice. So lunch spot right now. So if you get a chance, uh, definitely swing by. So we were talking about, you know, the rough concept. Let's go through a little bit of the menu. And I kind of want to dive into some details about the specifics about what you're doing there. So you brought out a lot of things that in certain contexts would be buzzwords. Whole grain, sourdough, uh, sourcing, et cetera, et cetera. Let's, I want to talk through a little bit what does all that mean in the context of the menu and how does that how does that result in the work that goes into this? Because that's what I've been fascinated a lot with recently is the work going into specific yeah, totally. dishes and the effort. Uh, I was interviewing a, a cast from uh, Public Provisions oh, recently, yeah. and we were talking a lot about technique and detail in the work that he's doing over there. And I'm kind of fascinated with that right now. So um, let's go into, you know, sort of the core things that are part of the menu. Let's start with the pizza slash focaccia slash whatever we decide that is structurally. 
So let's talk about what it what it is that you're doing specifically with the pizza style right now. Yeah, so we do uh, Sicilian style pizza all in cast iron. And the flour and details of it is what makes it really special. So we work with uh, Farmer Ground, which is um, we're using their high extraction and spelt flour. Oh, okay. So it has spelt in it as well. Yeah, yep. Okay. And we've um, actually sourced uh, this flour called burrato flour, which is a soft wheat. Mm. Um, it was d- difficult to find someone able to import it um, from Italy. And once we had that locked in, we knew we were really on to something unique. Um, yeah. So let's let's stop for a second. So I want to, uh, so because we were able to deep dive on this show, I want to really go into it. So you're going into this specific flour that you're importing why the soft wheat and what does that do to the end product? I'm sure you've gone through lots of testing yeah, we've and lots been, of R&D. Yeah, uh, R&D has been the name of the game for 10 months, 11, oh, 11 months or is so. That, is that when the concept, when you actually started making the rubber at the road? Yeah, that's when we all, uh, you know, me, Mike, and Dan, my two partners, um, decided it was time. And that would be Mike Calabrese and Dan Martello yeah, from yep. the Good Luck <laughs> Restaurant Group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doing some really cool stuff, obviously, at Lucky's and Good Luck and Cure and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So when we all made a commitment to each other about this project, it was pretty much let's go because we knew it was going to take a lot of time and patience to really dial in this, like, really specific type of focaccia. Yeah. Um, so actually Dan bought a – a sample of burrato flour and it, it literally means buttery so mm. it's this like soft wheat that when mixed with the high extraction bread flour and spelt it kind of has this balance of like it's tangy it's nutty it's kind of sweet and then it's airy and creamy so finding the best balance um you know percentage wise in the flour mix that we're making and then feeding it with the sourdough starter and then fermenting it. And so kind of the process of balancing these three ingredients together. Um, so we're at the point now where we're fermenting it for three days. I was going to say, yeah, because when I've um, when I've tasted it, um, now in a few different iterations, you know, as the pizza slice and now as a standalone, I'll say classic is not exactly the right term for it, but, you know, in the in, – traditional topping kind of of you know olive oil sea salt and rosemary Mm -hmm. that you'll see in many places uh where you know focaccia is served um that's something that's pretty notable is you know the sour level is pretty assertive um and i would have said two plus days for sure because it is notably sour yeah yep and that and kind of by design we wanted to have something recognizable like focaccia but add add something special and unique to it that makes it ours yeah and i think um you know we've been through the every rendition of it that i think is possible and i think we finally landed on on the right mix to to bring that tang to the table yeah, so let's let's talk about your starter. I'm sure you have a close personal relationship with your sourdough starter at I this do. point. <laughs> I do. So it was this one that you developed when you were starting the wildflower journey, or is this one you've been using for a while before then? This is the um, the initial. Ten, this is about ten, eleven months old or so, which is pretty young at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as 
starters go. Um, but um, being really meticulous about feeding it and keeping it healthy and its gluten development, having sure it's looking good um, for the every single day, sometimes twice a day for the last 10 months. So I definitely feel an emotional connection to my little guy in there. You'd kind of have to at this <laughs> yeah. point, right? Yeah. I mean, so much is riding on that sourdough starter. For sure. Um, so for, for those that haven't gone through the process before, can you explain the difference between using um, you know, active dry yeast in something and using a sourdough starter? And how do you, you know, what's the process of starting, starting a starter? Cause it's not, it doesn't just, uh, you can't just buy a starter. You have to do the work and create such a thing. Yeah. And that's what kind of, um, creates that intimate connection is that it starts with flour and water and flour, water, and time. And so, um, the difference that it's going to bring to the table is the complete flavor. Like we will bolster with a little bit of yeast in our bread. And I think that's um, a smart call when being able to tame the ability that the sourdough has to bring to the table, but to naturally like sort of develop this yeast colony that you're going to be baking with um, is I think night and day between the two bread comparisons. I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, but it's important to kind of make that decision of what kind of bread you want to make. Um, you know, I've worked places where we make the pizza dough that morning and then a few hours later we're making, making pizzas. Sure. That's good pizza. Um, but if you really want to commit to sourdough and fermentation, understanding yeast and how it works, um, you're kind of breaking into like the next level of bread, Mm -hmm. which as a cook, I, 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 is amazing to me. I've been, you know, on the line for like the last decade, never really dove into like the bread world, that early bird, late night bread life. I was going to say, it's like of the people I know who are like serious about bread. Like I've known, you know, Keith Myers for a long time now. And like, I see him occasionally at the market because he's running the bakery and he is a breadman, right? That is what he does. Yeah. And it is a, I'm not going to use the term monastic because it's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit uh, pretentious, but you know, it's, it requires a certain level of dedication to, you can't do it quick. You can't do it live. You have to plan. You have to be ready for that kind of dedication because like you said, you can make a bread the same day. You can make that. It doesn't, so what I'll say about that kind of baking is if you're making stuff that day, it tends to be, you know, one note. It tends to be what it is. You can taste the flour, you can taste the salt, you can taste the ingredients, but it doesn't offer complexity. It doesn't offer layers of flavor, typically speaking, because there's no time. There's no time to develop those amazing, sour, complex, uh, tangy, flavors and also changes the way the dough feels yeah. with that kind of fermentation as well. And, and and like the crumb development and like the really, if you really want to dive into it, kind of the, the in, intricate interworkings of oh, what, yeah. what makes it so special, you know? Um, so it's been really cool. And it's been one of those things um, where you have to read all the time. Yeah. And because what am I looking at? What am I touching? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? Um, so that's definitely been the journey um, uh, 
me and Dan have been on and, and uh, Paul Langlois next door is a wealth of knowledge in bread. Um, so he's definitely helped us uh, sort of this is right or this is this needs adjustment um, because it's a whole animal um, on top of a restaurant and dinner service or lunch service, whatever else you're unpacking. A bread program is a huge thing to pull off. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I kind of wanted to make an analogy for, for people. So if you've had this kind of bread and, you know, there's there's a small selection of people doing that here in town. Like I said, uh, you know, Flower City Bread, obviously doing an astonishing job with that work. Um, uh, Provisions ROC, uh, you know, they've uh, they've done some really good work with that. Uh, Jen's Artisan, she's done some great work with, uh, you know, fully fermented breads. But what I want to say about it is... It's, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, so my background, I've mentioned on the podcast any number of times, but I do, a, one of the things I do is a spirit judging, and I'm a spirits nerd, right? So I love that stuff. It's fascinating. And there's this thing, uh, I love talking about rum, because rum is so wide, right? You can have basically things distilled almost to be vodka, and then things that are open pit fermented in Haiti, uh, the one of them's referred to. It's called Claren is their style of rum. So it's raw sugar cane, open pit fermented, and in like often in open environments, not like contained in a building. And the kind of flavors you get from that are just out there yeah, and wow. are completely that insane. Amazing. Um, but when people use the term like terroir in wine, they're talking about what is a certain place taste like. And that's something that you're, you've been developing now for 10, 11 months because your strain of yeast and, you know, local bacteria, and I don't, that's not a negative, by the way, for people listening. It's this colony of activity that's living in the restaurant is now unique to what you're making and nobody else can make your bread taste the way yours does outside of the restaurant now which is really something when you take a step Isn't back and crazy? think about it. It's every time, I mean, we're still like in that honeymoon phase of when we put the pans in the oven in the morning and we watch the bread, we're still like in awe of it or like quick cut one in half. I want to see what the crumb looks like today. <laughs> like we're still just like little kids in a candy shop, just like so excited about what we've done and where we're going to go. Cause as the, you know, everything, sourdough starter gets older like think it just gets better yeah and so if this is where we are today right now we're we're really proud of it and it can only get better yeah and that's i kind of want to talk about texture because you brought up texture and crumb for a second so um the way where your bread is right now is kind of a it's a real in-between right it has a as a solid when you're talking about airiness you know it's not like you know, it's not stodgy, it's not dense, but this isn't super airy with giant bubbles either because it needs to function as a pizza slice you can pick up. Yeah. Exactly. So this isn't the most puffy focaccia you've ever had, but it operates kind of in that middle ground, which is a bit of a challenge. Yeah. How do we make uh, a bread we could sell by the loaf, but also cut in half as a sandwich and also be weight-bearing enough to put red sauce on top of it. All you have to do is make it do all three things at the same time. Yeah, that's no big it. Deal. It's easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's been really cool. And, you know, a lot of it's by design. Um, 
just like putting less less amount in each cast iron, mm. like not putting risers on the side to bake it high, um, not giving it a final fold at the 48-hour mark, um, all to kind of balance the amount that we're putting in the pan so we're not, well, this loaf is for sandwiches and this is for this and this is for that and creating like a focaccia nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's certain people who do that kind of insanity like what Luis Perez is doing over at Peels on Wheels right now. Yeah, for sure. Like he's making different doughs for his 14 and 18 inch to-go pizzas. That's so cool. Because he's a wild man. Like nobody <laughs> should do that. It's crazy to do that with the level of work that they're putting in over there. But it's, and I love utility, though. Like, everything I think about when I think about a menu is about how efficiently can we do this? How lean can we run this with, hey, we're making something that is really special but is unique. Um, so before we move on to the pasta, I did want to talk about two more things. I want to talk about toppings. Um, so let's let's dive into the toppings real quick. So it seems like a lot of what you're doing is using high-quality ingredients put on at the right amount not excessive, not too light. And something that, uh, what I'll note is that the base bread offers you the ability to go in lots of different directions because of that distinct, you know, tang to the dough. You can really hammer with salt and savory on top because it can stand up to that. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I was just reading, someone was starting like, do you think you should just call it a tartine instead? And I'm like, that's Ooh. that's thought that's, that's thought provoking for sure. It's um, right that that is actually that is a really interesting idea. I'd say it's so. If I'm being specific about pizza for a moment, I apologize. This is what I do. Um, it reminds me of in many ways of it's not quite. So I'm, don't don't take this as like what Forno Tony was doing with Roman style pizza. It kind of reminds of that where they're essentially making a base and then cooking toppings on top of it after. And it kind of reminds of that, mm -hmm. but it's not quite that because the texture is not quite as, you know, melt in your mouth airy as that is. It reminds sort of of grandma style pizza with that density and that crunch, that little bit of crunch, but it's not quite that oily. Like it's living in that in between, I think in a beautiful way, um, and it's kind of tartine-like, too, because you're throwing intense toppings on a really good piece of bread. Yeah. So it's I don't think you can pigeonhole it as one thing at this point. Yeah, and I don't think we want to. I yeah. mean, there's so many different directions to go in. And when we were, you know, a few weeks before we were opening, we were trying to find the best way to cook them. Like, maybe, maybe we do par-cook them and add the toppings and then finish them at the end. Yeah. What, what temperature do we put the oven at? What would like we have top and bottom controls for each deck? What, oh, that's nice. How do by we the way. melt the cheese, but not burn the cheese, but crisp the bottom and like just kind of, and we have a you crisp know, without crunch. Yeah. Cause you don't want a hard crunch. Cause then it's really hard to eat. Exactly. And then you're like pulling soap or sot, like the whole piece off. And you don't want just, that. It's just like really focusing on those details. So yeah. when you sit down, you're eating a really, whatever you want to call it, tartine, pizza. We call it pizza. Yeah. And it's something really thoughtful. It's a complete thought. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of what I got when I went in was when I took a bite of something, it felt like a complete thought, not a, oh, eh, we kind of just threw some stuff together. Like each bite made sense. Now, 
does it exactly go to my taste? No, of course, but nothing, nobody can make something to exactly everybody's taste, exactly. right? I want more salt, but I'm a salt monster. I want to hammer my stuff with <laughs> yeah. salt to, you know, 90% of palatable. Right. But that's what I like, and I want more of that. But are the toppings well thought out? Like, hey, if you're doing pepperoni, those are delicious pepperoni, but the sauce is good. You know, it tastes fresh. And yeah. you have that ability to use fresh sauce versus a long cooked thing too. Right. Yeah. And that's like, that's where the quality of ingredients really comes into play because the tomatoes we're using are really special and they don't need much to be great. And I think that's kind of the key with tomato sauce. What What was your journey into finding these tomatoes? <laughs> so we, uh, I, I was working in Maine and, and kind of working with different types of, uh, San Marzano's and, uh, were you in the hipster hotbed of Portland, Maine? Oh, you know it. <laughs> I sure was. All right. We'll, we'll dive into that after because <laughs> I would love to talk about Portland. Um, but I, I ran into this band called, uh, brand called Gustaroso mm. and it was just these really special tomatoes. They're a co-op out of uh, Southern Italy and they're like a uh, 20 farmer collective, and they make these tomatoes, and then they um, sell them through this company called Gustiamo, which is a, an Italian importer through the Bronx. And uh, but placing an order with them is difficult. Uh, they want to approve of you as much as you approve of them. Oh, I love that! So it's really cool, an amazing. And I work with an amazing woman and uh, Beatrice, and she she's passionate, just as passionate about what she's doing as we are about what we're doing. So it was a, an intricate interview process of, I, I want to see a copy of your menu. I want to talk about each menu item. And so I went through it with this woman, wow. this wonderful Italian woman, smart. And, um, you know, really kind of talked about how we're going to treat the items because she wanted to make sure they were going to be respected. Wow. That the farmers in Italy were being respected. I love that so much. Yeah, really cool. Um, so we nailed that interview, which was cool. Um, so now we have access to these Gustaroso tomatoes, and it makes all the difference. It, um, we use it in our bolognese, too, and people just, like, can't get enough of it. And it's, yeah, you know, it's beef shank braised in this tomato sauce, and that's where you guys are all falling in love. Like, I just know it. Yeah, because there's something about that great tomato where it, it doesn't need almost anything, but it takes things really well. Yeah. Yep. Because it's got to be sweet, but if it's too sweet, it's, you know, it gets insipid. It needs acidity. It needs that savory. It needs that meatiness in of itself for it to be something that really stands out. Yeah. And can, you know, accent when you're putting meat in it or doing other things with it. Totally. We cook ours for like 20 minutes just to remove a little bit of water so yeah. it doesn't push down that dough when we're saucing the pies. Um, but that's it. it. That's awesome. It really doesn't need need anything. It's great as it is. That's so exciting. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we were talking about pizza. I think the last thing I want to touch on that is the actual feel. So you talked about the journey, right? So you were... You're, you know, 10, 11 months in right now. How are you at this point with knowing what's going to happen before it happens? Can you feel where it's going that day with the temperature? Can you now with your hands, can you understand where things are going to happen before they happen? Yeah, for sure. When you start, when you're at the point, I mean, all of our doughs mixed by hand. 
And um, when you start to get it comes together and you start doing your like initial folds, you kind of know right then and there where you're heading, uh, how it tears when you pick it up. Does it tear? Does it tuck? Does it bubble? You know, um, is it really loose? Is it super tight? Um, And I think at this point, Dan and myself are really starting to kind of look at each other and be like, that's going to be a really good one. Yeah. And uh, when we turn them, you know, at the end of the day or whatever, like that one's like this batch is looking really good. And like that's been the trajectory of this whole journey, really. Is getting that feel down. Yeah. Now we all know, kind of. <laughs> Watch kind the of... temperature. Where's the humidity? Where's this? Where's the cooler at? Where's the... And, okay. Now we know our little hot window. And how do we just live in the hot window all the time? Which is so weird. I'm sure when you think back at the start of this, you're like, everything's... You're writing down so much. You're testing this. You're testing that. And I'm sure you had plenty of notebooks and spreadsheets and everything else. And now you're like, oh yeah, I know it's, I, I can feel it. I can feel that we yeah, need to Dan adjust Dan teases me because I have what I call the bread jewel. <laughs> <laughs> My bread schedule. Oh, I love that so much. Because it's, you know, over three days. So yeah. on Monday, you're making it Monday for Thursday and just a lot of planning, tucking and little this and this on the way. But yeah, for sure. Um, it's been right down the temperature, humidity and what was the temperature of the water? Where is it after you rested and... Now we're just like, that feels good. We're moving on. <laughs> yeah, which it's got to be really, you know, it's when you become, when you become good at yeah. something. Yeah. Like, because you can make something good without being good at it. Totally. And when you get good at it and you start to feel that confidence, oh, it's it's really something else. It's all that hard work paying off. Like yeah. all those days and nights where we were kicking ourselves over <laughs> stupid mistakes. Like, why would I? why would I do that? Why, yeah. You know, and now we're, now we can be like, kind of sit and enjoy the, enjoy our moment of, of getting to this point and figuring it out. Yeah. So, um, I think what I want to do is let's, we're going to start the pasta conversation. We're going to take a break, you know, finish pasta, go through your journey to get to where you are now. But, Let's talk about like what kind of pasta are you doing, and then we'll go into the technique a little bit after. So, uh, what kind of pasta are you making at the shop? So right now we're doing hundred um, percent semolina, and then like uh, anywhere from twenty two to thirty three spelt blend extruded fresh and dried pasta. Um, and we just started dipping our toes with gnocchi, and then we've been doing a little bit of uh, just fresh egg like popper doll hand cut pastas. You know, right right at that moment, you know, small batch. Yeah, yep. The right, right before we open, cut it up, get it in the deli. Well, cuz you want that you want that specific texture, you know, that you know that that supple, beautiful, luxurious texture from super fresh pasta is hard to beat. Yeah, second to none. So that's the where the balance is. Bread in the morning, pasta by night and balancing those are a lot of different doughs and textures of doughs. Oh yeah, to be working with. So what I'll say is, I haven't had the pasta in the shop yet, but uh, I actually cooked. I cooked a bag of uh, one of the pastas a couple days ago, and cooked it at home. Um, man, does that does that let off a ton of starch in the water? And it makes it so easy to make a luxurious sauce yeah, yep. out of there's so much surface starch on these. And I say that in the best possible way. 
like I don't cook in a huge pot of water. I, I tend to go lower so I can have a denser, starchier yeah. water. But man, does this let off a lot of surface starch. And um, I did a local mushroom. So we did a lion's mane mushroom and some uh, some beautiful oyster mushrooms I bought from the public market from a local mushroom grower. Fungis? Yeah. Yeah, that's where we get our mushrooms. From. Oh my God, is he killing it right yeah. now? Beautiful. Just some of the stuff. He had these beach mushrooms before that were just astonishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I used I used a whole pound of his mushrooms. And then just, so I, I cook vegan myself. That's how I eat. So I built a lemon, uh, miso, olive oil, a little bit of vegan butter, leeks, uh, garlic, and stuff like that. And just built up a, you know, a rough sauce with that stuff. Cooked the mushrooms separate, seared them off. Man, does that... Man, does that pasta hold the hold the sauce beautifully, and you know makes for a beautiful sauce with the pasta water, and just really fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, it's directly correlated to how cold it's extruded, so there's temperature controls and hydration controls on that. So there's like these micro textures on the outside. The colder we can keep it, the more texture this pasta is going to have, especially when it's dry. Yeah. So that heat, you know, it makes it smoother and depending on the dye you're using as well, not to get into too much nerdery. If you want to learn about pasta extrusion nerdery, listen to the Sporkful podcast where he came up with the uh, Cascatelli shape. He did like four hours of podcast just talking about developing a pasta shape. That's cool. Really something to listen to. But, you know, you can, you know, that texture on the outside, you know, if you're using Teflon dyes, oh, they don't happen like that. It goes out really smooth because there's not a texture that it's creating. And these come out just really stick the sauce right to the pasta. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, so I think we're going to do, we're going to take a break. We're going to go a little bit more into that, go into your journey, and we'll be right back. Hello, listeners. This is Richard B. Cologne reminding you all to check out the Behind the Glass Gallery podcast hosted by myself and Kwaje Donnell. Every month, we interview the latest First Friday featured gallery artists and dive deep into their passion, drive, and motivation beyond what they display on our gallery walls each month in downtown Rochester, New York. So please, if you haven't yet, subscribe and give us a listen. Also, don't forget to check out our monthly artist receptions every first Friday of the month from 6 to 8 p.m. 240 East Main Street at the Mercantile on Main. Hoping to see you all behind the glass. And we're back with the second half of our interview with Taylor Wildy from Wildflower, located in the North Winton Village in the Old Bay Goodman Pizzeria, right at the corner of Winton and Atlantic, right next to Lucky's Restaurant. And uh, we left off talking about pasta. So we talked about some of the, you know, some of the making of the style of pasta that you're doing, because um, you're serving it at the restaurant as well. So you can buy stuff to go. Definitely recommend doing that, by the way. Loved working with it, exciting stuff. Um, but you also serve it at the restaurant during uh, during lunchtime. Yeah, on our lunch menu, we have three pastas, and then we usually do a special almost every day. 
just to kind of give us a little window for menu testing. Um, so we have our rigatoni bolognese, which is definitely like a staple that'll probably never come off the menu. Everybody <laughs> loves a meat yeah. sauce. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we're doing a uh, crusty de gallo, which is uh, a short shape. It's kind of looks like uh, kind of like orichetti, mm-hmm. but a little bit bigger. And uh, and what's Oh, Fusilli, of course. Yeah, that's what I used the other day. Fusilli. Yeah, texture Uh, turned out great on that, too. It's not too tight, and it's not too wide. Like, it's just very nice to eat. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite dried shape texturally. I played back and forth with the percentage of spell on that one, and I think uh, the 22% has been the hot window of, like, enough flavor and tooth, and it's not going to break down in the pot or overwhelm the palate. Yeah, because that's uh, let's talk about spelt for a second because we've mentioned it a few times. So spelt often is one of the ancient grains if people are referring to it that way, but it's a whole grain and it is you know it does have a specific flavor. And um, as a prelude to what you're going to say, as you raise your whole grain percentage in like pasta doughs, they will become more crumbly. There's a texture that people expect with you know white pastas. There's this chew and this you know, consistency that people know. And you can balance that with the whole grain and make something that appeals to most people, but also carries more flavor and a little interesting texture without it being a whole wheat pasta that a lot of people have a visceral detest for. Yeah, I think people, like visually, it looks, it's darker in color. And I think that gives people the idea that it's just like, not it doesn't have the bounce and and uh and bite yeah that right like white pasta or semolina pasta might have um which is why i've really focused on finding good balance and people ask me a lot about spelt flour what it is and try to come up with like the shortest answer i can come up with let's let's get the elevator pitch for spelt (laughs) i uh i a lot of people are familiar with einkorn because there's like that boom i at you know five ten years ago about einkorn flour, at least in like the hipster kind of trendy. I was gonna say I don't think that got everywhere. Oh, okay. So which, <laughs> just me, which, specific and kind of then. specific kind of wheat, right? Yeah, einkorn is like the original, the OG cultivated farmed wheat, um, and spelt is basically its genetic cousin. They actually think it was um, cultivated in an einkorn field at a, a goat maybe ate grass here and there and dropped it. And then this new strain of wheat starts growing. And All these apocryphal stories always involve goats. <laughs> I know. The coffee story involves goats. because they're the greatest of all time. <laughs> yeah, their eyes are very disconcerting. <laughs> goats are the goat. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's got two at his, at his house, and all they want me to do is pull down the branches on the trees so they can... <laughs> Just eat, just eat the leaves on the branches. I do love them. They are cute. They are cute little monsters. And I'll they, give them they've that. They've done, they've done a lot for for us in the food world. For yeah, sure. the stories we can tell that are definitively not true but sound really good. Man, they help sell things. A yeah, lot. like we don't know, but <laughs> but this is really helping me tell you. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's einkorn's genetic cousin. So einkorn's like the most basic genetic code. It's I think there's like seven chromosomes to to the to the grain so it's really low in gluten um and then like spelt is like 14 or something it's like so close um it's nutty 
some people think it's really sweet. Um, and it kind of has that expected whole grain flavor that you're, you know. Yeah, but you can balance it out. And with the ratios you're doing, I think you've accomplished that where it has a depth of flavor, but it maintains that bounce that people expect out of. Yeah. Expect out of, uh, you know, high-end pasta. Yeah, and trying to, you know, be aware of who's cooking it at home and giving them accurate cook times and because I want them to make, be able to make the best product that they can at home. Um, so there's a lot of timing, a lot of how if we dry it for 36 hours, five days, seven days. And because every <laughs> cool, you know, pasta in the in the cooler is just slowly drying. It's Oh, yeah. You know, you're just, so we dry ours at room temp with a fan um, for seven days. But you're just controlling how fast you're drying it. So it's definitely um, presented its own challenges. Oh, absolutely. I mean, environmentally as well. I mean, you know days like today where it's 90 degrees outside, like regardless of how good your HVAC is, um, your building's not going to be the same temp as it is on a 60 degree day. And when you have the luxury of being open in February, uh, the building will not be the same temperature as it is on a 20 degree day. No, and that's why it's so important to keep logs. So by year's end, you know, this time next year, we'll have 365 days of references. Yeah. But right now there's just no references, so it's all about touch. Going, It always will go back to that. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, so you got pasta at the shop. You got sandwiches. Uh, definitely get a sandwich. My wife's love those. Uh, some really banging salads as well. Like beautiful, you know, also, I gotta say, so I'll I'll make the statement. Uh, this uh, this place is an amazing value. So if you're looking for a really nice lunch, you can grab a couple slices and a salad, and that can cover two meals. Yeah, like in for like twenty four hours or something like that, or even less. Like get some food, try it out. This isn't like a outrageous lunch or an outrageous evening out. If you're ordering from a major chain, you're ordering from Panera or ordering from Chipotle or something like that, you're already paying 14, 15 bucks. Get something that's really good, made locally and done well. So highly recommend doing that. So um I kinda wanna dive into your your path to getting here. So when when was the first time you um started thinking about food? in a way that wasn't just like, oh, I'm eating a food. Mm. Um, late in life. I was yeah. probably 19 or 20. Um, I didn't... About I, the same for me, by the way. Yeah. I um, I grew up and my, uh, my mom was a single parent working all the time. Um, you know, crafted cuisine was not at the top of any of our lists. Um, there were moments um, at home or with my grandparents or wherever where I would have something, but I was still picky. Like, I didn't appreciate it then. And um, I kind of got into cooking just to have a job while I was in college. And that's when I they made me taste stuff. I would be like, no, I don't. That has <laughs> that has that in it. That has anchovy in it. I'm not trying that. Yeah. And then the I remember he was like, you you have to. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not allergic, you have to. Yeah. And that's kind of that's what started it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, that, that was pretty good. Where have anchovies been my whole life? What the hell? They've been in jars and cans ready yeah, for you to eat yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think I started late in life because I don't really have these roots of like, I don't know, make kneading dough with my mom as a kid. Um, but I think it's special because it was later in life for me. 
Yeah, I, I had a very similar journey, like, you know, uh, not the single parent side, but, you know, my mom did the cooking, but it was, uh, we had utility food. I mean, that's what we did. It was not to say it was bad. We had some, you know, some dishes I still love to this day, but they're not, you know, I would not consider them refined or haute cuisine or even like specific. They're just what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I remember having Thai food for the first time at the University of Rochester when I was there. I'm like, this is very weird Chinese food. I, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about it. I didn't know anything about it, but this was, you know, before food magazines and everything. It was just 2003, 2004. I, I had no idea what it was. Yeah. And it was all new to me and everything was an adventure. Yeah, yep. That's, which is kind of exciting. It is exciting. That's why when I you know, started to get serious about it, you know, it was like a total renaissance of my life. Like, the okay, my life's going to go this way. Like, I spent the last, you know, 20 years pretending I knew what, where I was going, you know, like I think any kid does. And then it kind of finds you. And it's like, yep, that's it. This is what you're doing. So what was the turn from? So what was, where were you going in college? Oh, I don't know. I thought I was going to be a writer. Right. Um, and then I was like, eh, maybe a teacher. And maybe I'll teach about writing. Or... The frustrated writer teacher <laughs> yeah. journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll draw. Maybe I'll, you know, I, uh, I still love writing. That's yeah. still important to me. But um, I think the food took over. I mean, yeah. like it just, it just stole the show for me. So you were, I'd assume, at some Italian place when you were first starting? It was actually at the Inn on the Lake, as it, oh, wow. as it was um, long ago. Okay. Um, that was like my first kitchen job. It's um, an interesting first kitchen job. Yeah, it was just kind of, you know, do you want to like put together, I think I was just doing like house salads on like the their little Garmo station. Yeah. Like, it, was, it wasn't anything intricate. Um, and then it was... I don't know, people, you know, people quit or walked out or whatever. By some some luck, stroke of luck, they, like, gave me a chance to do something else. I mean, winning the war of attrition is always a way to make some stuff happen. Yeah, right time, right place. Um, I actually didn't really know how to focus cuisines until I went to Good Luck and started making Italian food with Dan. Is is that where you were right after there yeah well i went to well actually i, I lied my, my very first job was at Moe's southwest grill great so I welcome can, i can roll a burrito with the best of them welcome thank welcome to the podcast studio <laughs> welcome to Moe's. oh yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would love that somebody you walk in there hey welcome welcome to Moe's. Th- <laughs> thank you thank you so much for coming i gotta shout it out though because i learned a lot of like solid foundation rules like first in first out labeling you know efficiency like yeah i uh, stuff i find useful today i just absolutely i just planted good good roots in yeah um but then i was at the inn i was out at the ramada in geneva for a minute okay and then uh through a mutual friend kind of got an interview with dan and then it was all then that was it that was all my chips yeah. And I wanted that job more than anything. So when you're going in, when you're going into that interview, what what's your mindset going into that? Because how, how old were you when you were doing that? Um, I was 21, 20, 21. Oh, wow. So you're you're going in, you're you're all in on food at that point. And 
did you grow up here in Rochester? Yeah, right outside in Macedon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, scenic Macedon, home of Berry Plastics and yeah. other companies <laughs> like that. My wife worked there for a minute. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so at that point, like, you know, good luck had been established for a while. So you already knew that it was, hey, this is good luck. Hey, that's a big night. That's a fancy dinner out. This is, you know, at that age, you're like, oh, good luck. That's, that's you know, top of the hill. So what's your attitude going into an interview like that? Nervous, excited? Terrified, out of my mind. Yeah. Shaking, like trembling. I got there an hour early because I was afraid traffic was going to make me late. And yeah. I, there's no way I was going to be late for this. Mm-hmm. Sat in the parking lot pretending I knew stewing like yeah just probably making it worse (laughs) like you kind of just I probably just should have you know but um then I got in there and it was a very quick conversation Dan usually kind of breaks it up into several steps um because he really wants to vet and make sure you're going to be a good fit and like it there as much as you have to decide he wants to decide too which is the best way to staff a kitchen um, so I did a quick interview and then he was like, why don't you come back and cook a dish? And that was like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to make? Uh, so did that, that went well. And then it was like, what, what was the dish you were, do you uh, remember the dish? Oh, do I, do I, it was a pan seared duck with a carrot puree, an orange frisee salad. Great. Yeah, it was actually, it was good. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of it. That that is that's a dish that could easily sit on that menu, which is a good touch, by the way. Yeah. To have something that could sit on that menu, but it'd be right down the middle for what they do there, right? It's like a right down the middle dish that could show up on, you know, in and on the way, you know, a a waterside eatery that people find to be fancy. That's a dish that could show up on any menu and nobody would be dismayed by it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I just, I don't know, they, I just did, uh, that's the easiest part of the interview. Cause what can you do besides what you do? Yeah. Like, so at my friends and uh, you know, coworkers just have fun with it because this is, uh, that, there's no rules. Yeah. So just try to relax and enjoy it. And I did. And I, I still stand by the dish that I made. Absolutely. So it holds up to me. Absolutely, especially if you get I that cooked nice. I cooked the duck. The duck was cooked nicely. Nice that's what you're really interior. looking. That's what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Can you can you cook a duck? Right. Can you toss a little salad, make a little puree? Do you, right. do, you, yeah. do you know better than to overcook it? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't have to ask, but you should know better not to overcook. Exactly. It. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, so I got that done. That went well. Um, and then I was waiting for that phone call where we want to offer you a job, and I was wait like over a week. And I was getting real scared. I wasn't going to get that phone call. So yeah. I frantically start applying for other jobs and getting offered other jobs. I'm about like the day I was about to accept this other position, Dan called me. It was like, we'd love to offer you a job. And I was like, oh, my God. Let's go. Yeah. 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 It was it was huge for me. Well, it's got to be that's got to be one of those moments that's, you know, ironed into your brain forever is that, you know, there's only so many moments that you can look back on and like, oh yeah, this changed where I was going. This yeah. changed, this changed my direction and changed me in many ways. Yeah, and in on all the ways for the better. I don't know. You see this young, this young lady coming in and whatever he saw, I appreciate because I would not be. I don't know where I would be, but not here sitting with you. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, there's all those moments that change your direction. Like if you had the passion, you would have ended up somewhere somewhere where you felt comfortable, but 
it doesn't mean it's going to be what you really needed. Right. And sometimes you'll see those moments. You can look back on it now like, man, I really needed that. I needed the structure that good luck had. Yeah. You know, I need, you needed, and it's not saying you did, but like that, but that there's a vision. It knows what it is. Good luck knows what it is. Mm -hmm. And there's something about being around people that know who they are and places that know what they are. That forces you to think about that at the same time as you can grow your skills inside the structure. Yeah. And it was really cool to walk into this kitchen of absolute machines of people. Like that kitchen was the tightest, most badass. I, I, my first week I was just watching at walking around, looking at every single spoke in the wheel. Like it was amazing. I was hooked. I mean, the amount of food that's coming out of there on a Friday, Saturday night. Crazy. Is like, and it's just hammer, hammer, hammer. Nobody's waiting too long. Everybody's going all night. It was, it was beautiful to watch and then learn how to be a part of it and then work my way up all the way through it in the kitchen. So you're starting right at, you know, you know, starting it right at prep and doing all that stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, prepped. And then went to Garmo, and uh, for the for everybody thinking that's uh, cold prep for salads yeah. and uh, toppings and things like that. Yep. Um, then to pizza, then to pasta, then to like barbecue, then to fish, and then during COVID I worked burgers. Uh, burgers. There's there's something that place. Man, the amount of burgers that come out of that place every day is really something else for not to be a burger place and it's a lot yeah and that's something i don't think people understand how much work goes into that because they're still bringing in whole animal yeah whole animal for that which is absolutely crazy yeah it's so cool and you have to be there's like a certain mentality you have to have to work that station and work at any high any place that you know high quality and high volume you have to be so crazy committed to what you do to do it well that much that intense that often you have to be very serious about it for yeah. sure so you go through and then what's the discussion when the idea for this place comes up so you came from good luck to here right no i um i left good luck i moved to maine all oh, right we were talking about maine let's talk about portland maine yeah portland, so what were you maine. doing there um i was working at a restaurant called leeward Okay. And they were a pasta restaurant. Great. Through and through, um, which was really cool. I went there on a trip. I ate at a bunch of restaurants. I thought this one was really cool. Wanted, never left Rochester. Let's give it a whirl kind of thing. Yeah. Um, really an amazing place. They were nominated for a James Beard. The guy, uh, Jake Stevens, who owns it, is a, just like a really good person, and he's smart as hell. Um, so I learned a lot about pasta in my time there. Oh, I'm sure. Like it has to be. Yeah. Like, and all, and you really get into the weeds on it. Yeah. There's something, if you're the right person, when getting into the weeds gets you excited, yeah. not, not overwhelmed. And then you start to learn about who are you. That's when it's get, you're getting pitted. That's what you call that. You're like in the surfer wave and you're just totally, you're totally slammed. You're getting pitted. <laughs> No and, big deal. And, and and thank you, Taylor Spicoli, for that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the menu right now of that place. That's 
it's tight too. Like it's it's very I love the one page menu. It's yeah. simple. You know, the, yeah, and their so their pasta station was like Good Luck's Burger Station. Yeah, like you're making 120 pasta dishes every night in like this, you know, from five to nine, you are slammed. You are slanging pasta. It was so cool, such a cool experience. And you know, fun town too because it's so small. Like people, it's a destination, but like you can walk anywhere in 15 minutes. Yeah. I, when people tell me they're going, I tell them to like park their car outside and just like Uber around, walk around. Cause trying to park there is impossible. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're better off just like hoofing it in. And, and then everything from, you know, you know, from uh, places I recall from having been there was a, was a duck fat. Obviously one of the mainstays uh, was at the, the oyster place, which, you know, really special. Was it not even tight? Is it even tight? Even tight or high roller, maybe. Yeah. So yeah. some of those places are just, it's a really exceptional small place that is so dense with quality. Yeah. You're not, I, I don't think I ever had a bad meal anywhere in Portland my whole time there. Yeah. The standard is just so high on year, you know, even when the season's off and the tourists aren't taking over and swallowing us all whole. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Yeah, it's just like here, you know, the Rochester tourist season happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, you're, it's true, though, like in places like that where it's so dominated in the summertime, there is no escape. There is no respite. No. Everybody's taking full advantage the entire summer because you have no choice. Yeah, yep. And that, and that was great for us. They would, like the restaurant would be booked out for, oh, booked out for four months. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, and it's so small in there. Like there wasn't a bar seat. Yeah. To, to spare so it was cool because like you know who's coming you know how many and um very similar to kind of you know the food get the farmers bring it in you better chop it up and get ready to go because it's coming that's what you got you're serving what's available yeah you're, yep and there's something about that you know northern you know the northeast growing season when stuff's good you better take advantage of yeah. it while you have it there's there is no time better than the present to get amazing produce yeah couldn't agree more. And I'm sure it's got to be exciting right now. We're, you know, we're in early September when we're recording this. You know, the kind of stuff you have available to you right now is just like, what a luxury. Oh, I'm living it up. Um, I'd say, I mean, that's what our whole menu is based on. And then kind of thinking we got to take advantage of it while we can. And then what can we pickle, dehydrate, blah, blah, blah. So we can kind of make it as we head into the colder months. Yeah. Um. Let's let's just get the transition from Portland to Rochester, oh, and then yeah, we'll yeah. do we'll pick one more <laughs> we'll pick one more topic because we can do this forever. So how how'd you end up coming back here? I got a totally random phone call from Dan. I was like yeah. just about to leave for work, and he's like, "Let me let me tell you something crazy. Let me ask you something <laughs> crazy." I love that, and I'm like, "That's always going to be an interesting conversation." Yeah, and he's like, "What would you think about opening up a place with uh, me and Mike?" And I'm like about to leave for work and you know i'm like well i can't think about that right now but like <laughs> let's talk about it later but yeah well um and there's like a lot of back and forth for like three months of concept location logistics and then it kind of just came down to like i had to make a decision if i was going to stay in portland and kind of do my new life in maine or come back home and um chase after this thing i've wanted since i started working at this like 10 years ago your own thing yeah right like 
in some way or form. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do. And this is the opportunity to really do that. Yeah. So, um, a commitment was made and I, I just make it no decision is the worst decision. So I made a decision and packed it up and came home and never thought about it again. Yeah. It's, it's tough to leave something where you've, you've started to develop your own roots because there, that moment is, it is special, right? Like you've, you've left home, you're developing as your own self, you're developing in a new space, you're, you know, building your new relationships and everything else. And there's something that, that, that always will be with you still, but it's, it's, it's still special, right? Yeah, it, it's special, totally. but there is something about, you know, doing that. It's not, you're not tucking your tail behind your legs and coming home. You're coming back home to do something you really care about and something that's special. Yeah, totally. Like I, before that phone call, I'm like, I think I want to move a little more North in Maine and maybe this town. And like, you know, I'm like thinking I was, that's the track I was going on. Yeah. And then you get that call and it's like to be with Dan, a mentor from, you know, the very beginning of my career to extend this offer. That'll probably never happen again, but Maine will always be there. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully Maine will still be there. Um if the tourists and moose don't run it to the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so and that was a that was a really big decision. That was a hard thing to think through. Um but I I I think I made the right decision um to be with the mentor and people who have, have really made me who I am. Yeah. It's I, I love hearing that kind of stuff because it's, you know, being able to take a minute and reflect on what it takes to get to where you are now is it's one of the luxuries that, you know, we can have is getting a chance to really take a second, take a second and think about it because there's no there's no getting to where you are without the hurdles without the challenges without the learning without the people that have made you who you are and it's it's amazing like i'm coming up on my 40th birthday in three weeks and i don't do celebrations no no i don't and i'm doing one good i'm doing one and i'm bringing in people who have helped make me who i am now and being the most me i've ever been today Wow. is one of the best things I could ever say about the people that have gotten me here. And, like, I can see it when you talk about it. Like, you, your face lights up when you're thinking about that journey. Yeah. And, you know, what it took to get here today. It's That's exciting. I, I love seeing that in somebody who's found their, found their place. And you can see it when you go into the place, too. It feels complete. It feels like a whole thought from somebody that knows who they are today more than they did before. Wow. Thank you. That's so that's so thoughtful. I think when you like achieve the goal or like hit a milestone, yeah. It's so introspective. I think the most I've learned about owning a business so far is about myself and where are my thresholds and tolerance and patience and acceptance and you're just like It never stops it, by the way. Yeah, oh, great. Le- learning <laughs> learning the limits. I I'm failing at it every day and accomplishing everything but also failing all the time. It never stops. Yeah, right? And then you have to, you got to figure out how to balance it and accept it and work with it. And yeah. and 
that's like been the biggest eye opening. Like, whoa, I'm like a whole person doing something. <laughs> right. I, I have responsibilities and I, I am I'm the person people look to now. Like, whoa. Right. It's a mindset change. It really is. Um I just been happy as a clam on the line doing my thing and and wow, look where that's taking me. Look where I'm going, look what I'm doing. It's like And doing cool stuff in Rochester. Whoa. Um Let's finish off with a random thought because we just went we went into a whole series conversation because that's what I love about this. Um, what's a kind of food or something that, like I know you've been working on on the pasta, but I'm sure you've got some sort of cuisine or something else that's inspiring you right now or that's got you excited about, you know, other foods. Because I, I like I said, we were talking before we started. Like I work with a lot of you know small minority owned restaurants and the excitement of different cuisines. Is there anything that's like exciting you right now that you're that you're into? I'm pretty much obsessed with everything going on at Tavo's on Merchants. Okay, yeah. So um, the food there is unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, for people's references, uh, Tavo's uh, Tacos y Tequila over on Merchants, and this place has roots in um, in Canandaigua from Rio Tomatlan, and roots uh, from uh, I think it's El Rincón in Sodus. So it has some roots in some of the, you know, sit down, more classic style Mexican cuisine in Rochester. And the fact that it's now in our neighborhood is kind of exciting. So cool. And like I was in Canadagua, so the Rio was like always important to me. And then this is here. And when I moved back, um, I like picked up, I like went there to help out when they just opened. They oh, just that's awesome. Extra set of hands. Like I know Gabe and I know some people that work there. Um and so I got to help out and watch. And it was just so, like, there's three people, three women prepping in the back as uh, to order as needed. They're working a, this braise that I'm sure has been on there for 20 hours. And it's just like. And it has to be. Ca- oh, my God. It, it was amazing to watch. And, yeah. like, they're doing crazy volume. And they're, they're cranking. And it's just so legit. The flavors, the people that they know what they're doing, like like so deeply in, well, and, with their food and popping out dishes that you know, other than getting out to the, you know, traditional taquerias out in Sodus or uh, Albion and Medina, like you're not getting some of those things. You know, you can get it now at uh, Aguilera's over on Monroe, which is doing some. Yet. It's where a soul burrito. Yeah, was. I was just gonna say, is that the new soul? Yeah, just soul. open. So that's yeah. tied to Made in Mexico, which is in Sodus, which is kind of. And one of my go-to taquerias cool. Good to know. in Sodus. Um, I'll give you a whole list after that'll yeah. blow your mind away. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting to have that here in the neighborhood. And it's not to say other places aren't doing a good job, but you know, when you're when you're around the industry for so long, there's something about something about tradition and punchy flavors. Tradition still hits me hard that I'm getting something that they want to make that they really they're dedicated to. Yeah. And that's why I think I got to see it and I could relate to it. And that's why I feel so drawn to it. And like, it's so different than what I do, but it's the same. Like they love it. And just like, I love what I'm doing. Um, 24 seven every day, all, you know, for forever. I hope. That's so exciting. Um, So yeah, that would, that would be the long answer. I I love that long (laughs) answer. That's the perfect length. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's throw out the plugs again. So we're finishing out. So uh, again, where can people uh, find Wildflower online, and how do they come uh, buy delicious food from the restaurant? 
So we are wildflowerrochester.com, and that'll have um, our menu, our hours. Um, we're on at wildflower.rochester for Instagram. Uh, we're on 620 North Winton, right in the North Winton Village, um, 11 to 3, Thursday through Monday for now. Yeah, so definitely go in and enjoy what they're doing over there. It's really exciting stuff. And the fact that we have somebody really specializing, there's nothing I love more than a place that specializes in something that they care about and they're going to do it the best way they can. This is a short menu, which means they care about everything they do. You know, places with giant menus, you can't focus on everything at the level that Taylor's doing over there and the whole team's doing. So... Props to you, props to Dan, the whole team doing amazing work over there. Um, so go visit them. Uh, I know I have, I know my wife has, which makes me very excited. That's here in the North Winton Village, and we're continuing to grow as a neighborhood, which yeah, makes me really very cool. pleased. Yeah, I'm really happy to be where I am. It's cool to watch the development come along. Yeah, really exciting. So uh, let's close out. So uh, you got this long. You know how to find me already. Uh, if you have thoughts for upcoming Food About Town Bites episodes, you want me to talk about a specific cuisine here in Rochester, really do a deep dive, tell you about the cuisine, where to go get really um, you know, excellent versions of that food here in town, I'd love to do that on there. Um, so uh, pay attention for more Food About Town Bites coming up. we got a whole bunch of great interviews coming out as well. Follow me, Food About Town, on Twitter, X, whatever, Food About Town on Facebook, Food About Town Podcast on Instagram, and uh, also go to nominatemeals.com and get your meal for an upcoming event. $40 for a meal for two. And you have no idea what you're getting until you pick it up. It's the whole fun about it. We get to highlight small minority-owned restaurants. And you can pick it up at one of our fantastic locations. Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo, Kenmore area. Uh, here in Rochester, Three Heads Brewing. Uh, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play. And the beautiful new Black Button Distillery over on University Ave. Uh, help us uh, grow, support small minority-owned restaurants, and have yourself a great time. And we'll be back next time with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Thanks for listening to the Food About Town podcast. If you aren't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Go to your podcast app of choice and make us your favorite podcast by subscribing and leaving a review if you can. Music for the podcast was created by the fabulous Taurus Savant. You can hear more of his work at torsavant.bandcamp.com and make your presence known by seeing him perform live. Food About Town is a proud member of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Oh no, here comes McKenneth! This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. <laughs>